I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. In this episode, we're sitting down with a guy who started his own newspaper at the age of 30 years. Not long after, he became the most successful independent newspaper publisher in all of Queensland. And his name is Malcolm Quinn. And now he consults to media organisations like News Limited through his consulting business, 13 Management. I'm going to ask Malcolm to tell me how he built a multi-million dollar media organisation from the ground up. And by the way, taking on the super media organisations, I want to talk to him about the challenges he faced going head-to-head with these guerrilla competitors and about the pivotal moments in his life that helped shape his business mindset. And we finish off talking about that important point that all business owners need to know about, and that is how do you retain your customers? So let's get into it. Malcolm Quinn, welcome to The Mentor. G'day, Mark. How are you going? Good to see you again. Yes, definitely. Last time I saw you was what year? 2016. And... Uh, Remind me, uh, where where did we do that? Because I, I did something through your event management yeah, business. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we did a function together in Harvey Bay. Yeah, and what do you remember what I spoke about? Well, success in business. That's success in business, You were yeah. talking about it then. There was a good turn up, as I recall. 350, I think. Yeah, was that some sort crowd. of club or something like that? Yeah, yeah. So one of the um, you know, clubs that I do that, you know, brings local business people together to hear, you know, positive messages. And we don't normally have business speakers. Normally we have uh, what we term, you know, entertainers, um, but... In your case, uh, obviously, at that stage, you were a celebrity apprentice. It was very, very topical. It was just, it fitted really well. I remember the discussion with uh, my talent manager, so-called, I'm the so-called talent in inverted commas. Um, <laughs> he told me exactly that. They don't normally get people like you. Um, they normally get no. entertainers up there. But uh, So I tried to make it as entertaining as possible. And I soon recall that I'd had a pretty bad injury, which was, wasn't all that entertaining for me from that point of view. But, but we'll leave that for another discussion. Now, mate. Yes. You've got a, what I didn't realize at that time, um, is that you have quite an incredible story. And, um, I mean, you're, you're a newspaper guy. Would you, would you well, I would say, I, I'd at say one I, stage? I, well, it's still my passion. I'd say I'm a career newspaper guy. What does that mean? Well, it means that, um, that's what really got me into the workforce. I, I mean, proper workforce. Um, Take I, me back. Just, I mean, you're, you're a youngster now. You're probably in your mid forties. Take me back, right back to the day when you first started work. Um, this is an old school story. Yeah. Well, it's a bit of happenstance, really. Um, I mean, I, I dropped out of school the second week. Of, Where were you? Which part of Australia? Oh, okay. So I, I grew up in Brisbane, yep. uh, on the north side of Brisbane in a place called Albany Creek. Uh, so back in the eighties, there was nothing there. 
uh, really just bushland and stuff like that. So primary school and high school there. Uh, what did your parents do? Uh, just average working class people. My dad was a courier driver for a company called Wards Express, which of course yeah, is well, remember it. well gone now. Uh, my mum was a nurse, um, career nurse, worked in you know um, hospitals and then um, in senior care and uh, things like that. So we're just an average family. Um, went to primary school there, high school there. Awful student, like really bad. Um, I just, I really struggled. The, the further I got into high school, the more I struggled to understand what are the things that I'm learning now going to practically apply as I get older. And it's mad you even thought about it. I mean, I never thought about shit like that. Um, but what, did you really think, did you actually sit down and think, well, why am I well, doing this stuff? Um, yeah. It's pretty uh, smart in those days. Well, man. I don't know. Well, it's interesting that you say that because now they call, now the buzzword that they put around all this stuff is emotional intelligence, but that's that's not what it was back then, you see. It wasn't called that then. No, no, no. But You were when, called a rebel. No, I was called a smart-ass kid. That's what it was called because uh, even as a child, I enjoyed the company of adults more than I did of kids my own age and enjoyed sort of interacting with them and talking to them. And um, by the time I'd finished my junior school certificate, um, I really didn't want to get back to school, um, but I did. I went back for two weeks uh, for... That's 15. Uh, yeah. In those days, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, two weeks uh, into grade 11, I managed to convince my parents that me continuing my schooling didn't represent a value proposition for me or the teachers, uh, whom I wasn't their darling. Uh, so I just dropped out of school. I mean, well, it's sort of an interesting discussion, to be honest with you. Like lots of parents were listening to this and lots of parents, you know, we keep getting fed this stuff about ADHD and, uh, you know... ADD as well and all the various sort of um, variations of kids not being able to concentrate in class or why a kid is disruptive and, um, you know, we are looking at the suitability of the curriculum, uh, what is the practicality of it, and you're saying that back in those days, um, if you were that type of person, um, to some extent you were ostracised, if there was that type of kid, you're ostracised as being a naughty kid or someone who can't concentrate or... They didn't know about ADHD in those days, but there were, you, you're more like rebellious or just a naughty kid. I think so. And I think it was easier for the teachers to rationalise that as he's just a troublemaker. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to he doesn't really fit in here or there's not a box uh, for him. So or, when you say troublemaker, did you, like, were you, was it, what sort of school was it? State school? State school, yeah. So you, you know, like I know what happened to me. I went, I went to Catholic school and you see cop it big time, like so you get the strap and all sorts of weird stuff. And naughty for me, bad kid for me in my days was fighting blokes and stuff like that. Um, were you doing that sort of stuff? Or were you no, just disruptive in class? Just disruptive. And I think disruptive is is another way to do it. You weren't stealing cars no, and stuff. No, goodness, no. Um, well, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> a couple of blokes, my mate stole cars. No, 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 no. But ask a lot of questions, you know, and then ask questions about the answers. And yeah, I just, Sorry to interrupt, Malcolm, but mm-hmm. I just remember when I was, I won't, I better be careful what I say. I guess the statute of limitations applies. But when I was at um, high school, uh, a bloke who I know, one of my friends at school at the time, drove a stolen car to school for three months. Um, it was, you know, it was a Catholic school in Bankstown. And um, it's amazing, like today, you'd never get away with that sort of stuff. But I remember getting a lift with him in some respect. Like, like some days he picked me up from Bankstown Station because I used to go from Punchbowl to Bankstown on the train. He'd pick up from Bankstown. And, and uh, there's funny, oblivious to it. Like, um, mm. And that's he's a very respectable guy in our family, yep. school teacher. <laughs> He's actually a school teacher. It's amazing the sort of stuff that happened when we were kids. Oh, look, I think we're all different people now with the benefit of hindsight. But, you know, look, I've, 
fractured the odd law in my time, but now's probably not the forum for that. But it's funny though, but he's, I mean, like we talk about, you know, where you are today and with the sort of decisions you made at 15. And it's, when I think back at, the, you know, some of the things that I saw around me in my school and, you know, some of the things I sort of participated in, I didn't actually steal a car, but I actually t- t- had a benefit of getting driven around in it. I never thought for a second that I was doing anything really bad. Mm. Um, and that particular individual went on to become a school teacher and quite a well-respected school teacher today, nice family man, et cetera. Um, it's funny how you know, some of the decisions we make when we're 15, um, I made my decisions to get in the car without thinking, but you're saying to me that at your age of 15, you made a decision not to continue on to school because you didn't think it suited you and or you, you didn't suit it either. No, definitely not. That's crazy. It's, it's, it's quite a mature thought process for a kid who's probably not suited for school. That's, that's very mature. Like, I, I mean, I think it's mature anyway. I mean, I can't imagine many people back in those days would have thought that way. I just, I just wanted to be gone. You know, I just wanted to get on with the next stage of my life, which was become a fully fledged adult, which... Uh, ironically, I found out within the next six months that I definitely wasn't uh, a fully fledged adult. Yeah, that takes uh, time. It certainly does. So, what did yeah. you do? You, you went and said to your mum and dad, "Listen, after two weeks into year eleven, which if I go right back in those days, it was called fifth form and sixth form, which mm. is a bit scary." Um, and uh, you said, "Listen, this is not my go." Correct. How did they take it? Um, well, it took a couple of goes. Um, as, as these things do. Um, but, you know, I can't recall the, the, the exact conversation that I had with them, but I talked them through, you know, my results aren't good. Um, so what am I going to do? Um, and I might as well get out and start earning because I'm not learning. Um, and it just wasn't, it was, just wasn't the space for me. I was just going to bob up and down for the next two years. And um, if I continued to do that, then I probably would find myself getting into more trouble um, than on what I was maybe just challenging adults intellectually, which, you know, they didn't like very much. And so that's what sort of put me into that bracket of being the, you know, the pain in the ass kid. That well, nobody yeah, wanted to hang with. How dare you uh, challenge a teacher or a, <laughs> or a concept that teacher's trying to profess. So, so what did you do? So your mum and dad have conceded? Yeah, and, and what so happened? they've conceded. So they said, you've got to go into the CES. I don't know if any of your listeners remember what the CES was. Well, it's, it's where you go, Commonwealth Employment Service, yeah. is where you go and try and get the, the doll. Yeah. Or they uh, pigeon a job. Oh, oh but there was no doll. No, there's no, there's no question. You're going to go and get a job. So I remember going there for the first time and they, um, no computers, mind you. So they put all the cards up on a little stand and you'd go and pick a card for a job that you think you might be suitable for. And you'd go and sit down at the desk and then they'd ring up the person and see whether they'd be interested in having a chat to you. And, um, uh, the first one I picked up was for lawn mowing. Um, I thought, well, I, I don't have a lot of practical skills, so maybe that'll be okay. You know, so, um, so I got that job and I went and did it and I lasted two days. Um, that was too hard work for me. Uh, and I'll admit that. Uh, and it was hot. Um, and uh, with my complexion, that was never going to be a career. Yeah, for those who are listening, because you can't see the, uh, Malcolm's a redhead. Mm, correct. Uh, so it probably wasn't the wisest decision that I made. And then uh, essentially after that, I just bummed around for a couple of months and I really didn't do anything. And my friends were at school and, um, so I'd become quite, you know, interested in daytime television and things like that. And until, uh, it got to a point where my parents said, look, okay, enough's enough. Um, you either got to go back to school. Or get an apprenticeship. Or. Do they put that one on you? Go, no. No, well, uh, my wife would attest to the fact that if I try to change a light bulb, we've got to call an electrician to fix the damage. So, um, they said, well, why don't, why don't you go and spend some time with your grandparents? And they lived in this 
I call it a half a horse town called Gleninus in New South Wales. Oh, yep. Very cold place. Uh, so why don't you go and spend some time with them, which I think um, my parents at that point in time were using a little bit of reverse psychology on me. Like if you go there for a couple of months, you're going to hate it so much, you're going to come back here and you're going to want to re-inject yourself back into the social life that you once had. Um, it actually had the complete opposite effect on me. So I went down there. And they were, at that stage, they would have been in their 70s. So there was, there was those two and me, a 15-year-old kid. Um, and we just hung out and, you know, they were, I really enjoyed their company. And there were things to do uh, in Glenninus that you couldn't do in the, you know, the sub suburbs of Brisbane. Um, so I could go fishing every day and um, a rugby league was has always been a great passion of mine. So I'd go and watch the Glenninus Magpies uh, play at the, spiritual home of rugby league in Glenners called Mead Park. Uh, I remember this, it was one particular um, cold August afternoon. It was the 21st of August, 1988. And I went to watch the Glenners Maypies play the Maury Boomerangs, um, who, let's just say they'd prefer to beat you 52 to 50 than they would 6-0. So fantastically entertaining. It was a great afternoon and it was really buoyant. Um, so I decided to walk home. Um, even though it was freezing cold and I walked in the, walked in the back door, uh, went to the fridge, got a drink. I remember it like it was yesterday. And as I turned from the fridge with a, um, a glass of Fanta and a pink, little pink crystallized old seventies cup, um, my uncle was standing there and they, they lived next door, my uncle and auntie. And, um, he said to me, I hate to tell you this, but your father's died today. And the, in a moment, um, my life changed. Did you know he was dying? No. Well, no. He just dropped dead of a heart attack or something, did he? He dropped dead of a heart attack, crossing the street to buy an ice cream a week after his 50th birthday. Completely out of the blue. So that was a real shock to me at mm. the time. It wasn't until I became much older that I actually comprehended the impact of it. But on the spot, um, he was his reflexes were fast enough to catch the drink that I dropped. And I thought, wow, oh my goodness, you know, and... Um, Within a moment, I, I think I went from a child to an adult. Um, all the safety nets that, you know, that I subconsciously had, even though I thought, oh, look at how smart am I at my age, were just gone. Um, so that was a really, that was a real wake up call for, for me. Um, and um, as a result of that, um, my mum, who was now living in Brisbane on her own because her, you know, her husband had died. She grew up in Glenners, so um, she wanted to move back there. So my two-month holiday in Glenners now became hmm. permanent. So you're really a New South Wales resident, which means no, you should go for the blues. No. No? Okay, no, we'll move no, on. Let's move on. <laughs> um, so, so I found myself now full-time living in Glenners, which I thought was going to be a little bit of a, a holiday, but it wasn't. Um, and my mum really struggled. Like, she really struggled, obviously, uh, with the suddenness of it and... Um, you know, she suffered some issues as a result of that. So, um, that support network kind of wasn't there either. So I thought, oh my goodness, what, what am I going to do? Um, you have to start earning a quid because you're now, you're now the, well, well, let's call it, in those days, at well, least the man ways, of the house. In many ways, yeah. So I saw an ad in the paper, um, for a, a junior advertising sales consultant at the local newspaper, which is called the Glen Ennis Examiner, which it still is and, um, published twice a week. Uh, doing 2,500 copies paid on a Tuesday and a Thursday. And I thought, well, that sounds like me. I'm going to go and give that a go. Um, and it was, uh, this would have been around, 
sort of October of that year. So a few months after he'd passed and right about the time that every kid in Glen Innes who was finishing high school with a year 12 degree or whatever they called it back in those days was also looking for a job in a town where there were no jobs. So I remember going to the interview and the regional manager came over from another town called Inverell, which is a bigger town, uh, a full horse town, not a half horse town, 45 minutes away. And she came out of the interview, me and a heap stack of other kids uh, on this particular day. And so we went through the normal, you know, um, processes of an interview and we got to the end. And I remember saying to her um, just before, you know, um, the interview finished that if you're going to pick someone who's stands out on paper as the most academically suitable candidate, um, then there's no point in phoning me because I won't be getting the job. Um, but if you're going to employ the person who's interviewed the best today, then I expect I'll be hearing from you. Um, and I did. So she got, she gave me the job and, you know, what did I know about selling advertising to, you know, clients for a newspaper? Absolutely nothing. I knew nothing. Um, so I started well, on you the enough to get into her head. <laughs> well, I thought, well, you know what it's like, you know, you, you look for what's my opportunity, what's my in here, uh, and I can fake the rest until I figure it out. Um, so I got in there and uh, I started on the Monday and they sent me out on the Monday to start selling ads. And I didn't know anything about anything and product knowledge training wasn't the greatest, should I say. So I sold my first ad ever um, to a bakery which was in the same street. And it was a really old bakery. It was called Smeaton's Bakery. And I thought, I can't just go in there and say, hi, I'm Malcolm, the kid from the paper, and do you want to buy an ad in a paper in a town where everybody knows you are anyway? So I thought, well, what's my in here? So I went there and I said to them, oh, I've got a new slogan for you. And they thought, oh, really? Everybody knows us. Why do we need a new slogan? I said, how about if it's not a Smeaton, it's not worth eating? So they bought the ad and then another one and then another one. I thought, how easy is this? Um, and I think that's where, um, I just felt it. I just absolutely loved it. Like the, the art of the sale, the conversation around the sale, the, the skills that I always thought that I had, uh, around identifying, um, the nuances of human behavior and how to, how to identify what the push points are going to be for you and hone in on those and those sorts of things. If it's not a smoothie, it's not worth eating. I like that. It's not it's a smoothie, it's not worth eating. Yeah. And the old, the old days of, uh. Was it just a basic pie? I mean, it's, but you know, like some of our greatest advertisers, and if I go back to um, uh, Alan Morris and those guys, the Mojo guys, um, mm. what they were always famous for was um, those two liners. Yeah, that's not, not nothing else. Just, no. just it's the two liners. I mean, it's probably a bit different today, but back in those days, you know, like you Definitely. know, World Series cricket, sure. Cornell, and all those people, they're, they're they're great for the two liners, and the two liners wins people over straight away. Well, and you, you've got to put that into into perspective in terms of the period in time that we're talking about. I mean, those traditional medias now, which are, you know, under pressure from a lot of different areas, were the main game. Yeah. So print, TV and radio was it. And you really got good cut through if you're able to come up with something like that. Yeah, totally. I mean, they're, 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 our most famous advertisers are not necessarily the real big agencies today. But they're the ones who come up, the, the individuals who are the most famous, are the ones who come up with those little quick sayings yep. or little jingles. That top of mind awareness that comes from going, oh, yeah, yeah I know that thing. Yeah, that's the jingle for yeah, that yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. and that's that's a, to me, that's not something you can train people for. That's like an innate skill. That's something you have inside you. Like, uh, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't have never come out to come up with something like that when I was 16 or 17. No way. But I wouldn't have even thought of it. But it's something you're sort of born with. 
It's not something you train up to. I think you're 100% right. Uh, you know, some of the things that we're taught, you know, we're tried to, you know, we try to digest. It doesn't, if you don't have it, you don't have it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so go and do something else. Um, probably why I end up spending, you know, the best part of my working life now in that particular career. So wh- where did you go it. from there, Malcolm? Like, so like, you're selling advertising and mm. uh, at this age you're living in Glenis with your mum, your grandma and your grandpa and your uncle yep. and auntie next door. Correct. Um, so and my you, brother, he was there too. You, you got into like some sort of uh, support group around you. Yeah. But to some extent, you're missing your dad. So the finances are, are looking a bit tricky. So uh, what'd you do next? Well, I was in a system, I suppose, because the paper was owned by Rural Press in those days. So I was in a system, so I had access to training and stuff like that and um, access to um, career advancement. So I went from there back to Ipswich, to the newspaper in Ipswich called the Ipswich Advertiser. Which I was, so they gave me the sales manager's job there, which was crazy. And I, I'm not sure how, this would have been late 1990s, I suppose. Oh, early 1990s, sorry, I should say. And then I just took every job that came my way or every opportunity for advancement that came my way. Um, so then um, I went to um, Rockhampton, um, newspaper called the Capricorn Local News. They made me the general manager of that paper. Uh, then I went back to Ipswich again, uh, from uh, Rockhampton and they made me the sales director of the Can Daily I just stop paper. here? Because that's yeah. a really important point to raise here. Um, when you're looking for a job, well, not when you're looking for anyone looking for a job, but when you're considering a career, one of the great things is the ability to, to transfer and to travel. And I don't mean traveling as such, but I mean being out, like Rural Press had uh, operations everywhere. Oh, 90 papers. And it allows you to go to, as you said, Rockhampton, you can go to Ipswich, you can go down to wherever. You go all over the place, but you, out of education, you get a little bit extra experience or a little different experience. You can sort of hop around the place, but as you're hopping around the place, that's why, you know, like people who work for accounting firms, go work for Pricewaterhouse or go work for PwC, I should say, or go work for these massive organisations who you don't hop around Australia, but what you do is you go from Sydney to New York and New York to London. You might not get any more money, mm. but what you're doing is you're getting unbelievable experience. So which is one of the reasons why people like to work for investment banks today. Um, the experience you get from organisations like Rural Press are invaluable when you're sort of moving around either in your case, the countryside, the country, mm. Australia, or eternally, eternally, you know, around the world. So people who are looking at uh, advancing their skill base and their experiences should, if you get the opportunity, you never underestimate, underestimate how valuable it is to work for one of these organisations who has places all around the world you can travel to. Look, I think the point you make is a great one, but I think there's a little bit more to that as well. And that is that I would have not learnt anything if I went from the Glen Innes Examiner to a cadet's job at, say, the Daily Telegraph. Because when you move around to smaller newspaper sites, you're involved in everything. So you get a sense of how the business runs. Um, you're not siloed into a particular job. So I think sometimes people think, okay, so the bigger the organisation that I can get into immediately, the, m- the more successful I'm going to become. I don't think that's true. I think really what you need to be doing is getting into an organisation that diversifies your skill base, if that's the industry you want to be in, so you understand the whole of the business, not just your little part. Um, so I moved around lots of different places. I went back to the Queensland Times newspaper in Ipswich, uh, then then offered me a job in um, with APN uh, in head office in Brisbane, looking after all of the special projects and special publications across 90 newspapers uh, in their group. Uh, so I took that particular job, um, which I enjoyed for a while. Um, and then um, um, around about um, the year 2000, uh, my grandmother passed away and she left me $46,000 in an inheritance. 
uh, which at that stage I thought, okay, well, it's because I'm not making big money, you know. Um, I thought this is the most amount of cash money I'm ever going to see in my lifetime. So what am I going to do? Um, I've made a lot of money for media organisations. How about I make some for myself? So I decided to start my own newspaper in Ipswich with this $46,000. I want to come back in the second half to how well you invested that 46000 What What do you think were the prerequisites to allow you in skills um, and what were those experiences that allowed you to invest that money into whatever it is you decide to invest that money into? And then what happened after that? As usual, every week, I'm sitting here with Matt Holland, and Matt's from Mentor.Business, and that's a business that either sells businesses for you if you're the vendor, or alternatively helps you buy one if you want to buy a business. And it does a whole lot of other stuff too, but you know, they're the, they're the two main things it's doing right now. Matt, each week you showcase one of the businesses you currently are listing for sale. What do you got for me this week, mate? Uh, yeah, this week we've got a, a business Sydney-based. It's a restoration centre. Uh, the owner's been going for about 15 years. And he's looking to uh, to exit slowly. He doesn't have to be, you know, he's happy to do a nice handover. Uh, and the great thing about this one, he's looking to sell for the value of his stock. So, okay, so but is it a restoration business means it's a restoration centre where, like, the, it's a fixed address. Um, people go and go in there and uh, have a look at all the sorts of things that you need and products and services you need to have in order to do your restoration, or do these guys actually go and do the restoration for you? No, look, this is the actual centre. So this is where you, you'll go in and you'll choose your, your bathrooms and your tiles and, and it's, you know, basically anything. And it's got a real heritage feel about it. So it's got some old world, um, you know, timber and so on in there as well. So it's not just new age uh, products. It's, it's, it's focusing on um, a lot of renovation work. Right. Okay. So I've been to those places. They're cool. And so uh, we're talking about Sydney. Sydney yeah, Sydney, Western Sydney based. Yep. Right. Okay. And um, how long has it been there? Over 15 years. Okay, well, he's well established. Okay, well, this sounds like a good one. I mean, particularly given the interest rates were dropped again this week and, um, you know, people are going to start to buy more properties and start to restore properties. And, and we have all these great tax advantages. If you own your own home and you restore it and you sell it, you make a good profit, you don't have to pay tax. So it's actually probably a good time for the restoration market going forward, I would have thought. Um, so I'll, maybe this one's got a good future. So how do they contact you, Matt? What's the deal? Yeah, jump onto mentor.business. Um, and just search the Restoration Centre or by all means, give me a call, Matthew at uh, mentor.business. Okay. And how they contact you? Where do they find your number? Yeah, just on the, on the homepage of mentor.business or, or 1-800-858-696. Great. And uh, I, I presume you've got a whole lot of other stuff you want to sell too. So a lot of other businesses that are listed there. Um, so if you're a buyer and you're looking to buy a business, um, Matt's got a whole heap of stuff there ready for sale, a whole lot of stuff listed on the mentor.business. Go and have a look. Check it out. Thanks, mate. See you next week. Thanks, Mark. Okay, I'm back here with Malcolm Quinn, and uh, we've just been through sort of what happened in his sort of uh, fairly adventurous life, going from Brisbane or an outer suburb of Brisbane back down to Glen Innes, and then his dad dying at a really early age. And then we fast forward that to him receiving an inheritance of $46,000 from his grandmother back in 2000, which to some people, to be frank with you, that's a lot of dough back in 2000, especially if you've never seen any, anything like that before in your life. 46000 is probably a year's wage. And Malcolm at this stage been working in the various parts of some of the big newspaper organisations and um, I, I guess radio was part of those organisations too. No, no, just ra- newspapers. So he's got some good experience. What I want to know is what the hell did you do with that $46,000, mate, when you that landed on your, on your desk? Do you remember the cheque? I do. I do remember getting the cheque. Um, 
And what'd you do with it straight away? Well, I'll put it in the bank. And then what'd you do? No, but do you already have an idea where you're going to invest it? Oh, 100%, because, uh, well, it was a little bit protracted. So I knew the money was coming, but, you know, if you've had anything to do right, with yeah. the settlement of estates and things like that, it takes a bit of time. Totally. So I had a bit of time to think it all through and whether, in fact, I was, was in fact, making a, a, a really good decision or, or just a, a foolish one. And um, But I just didn't want to keep doing what I was doing. And I want to have a red-hot crack for myself. And I, this is it. Now, this is my How opportunity. Early or mid twenties, maybe right. a bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, okay. So I figured it out in my head that I'd probably have to spend half of it to get myself set up. So this is not so TV and radio are different. You have to have a license. The barrier to entry to get into newspaper, you don't have to have anyone. Anyone can start a newspaper. Mm. Um, so I thought it was. It'll take me about half of that money to set it up, um, and I pro- can probably publish for two or three weeks before I run out of money. Um, so how, how am I going to deal with that? Um, and how am I going to make sure that I don't go out the back door? So we came up with our, you know, our plans and strategies for that. And we rented a little office, um, up above, uh, Brisbane street in Ipswich. It was a one, it was a one room office and there were four or five of us working this newspaper. It had inch thick plush pile carpet on the floor. And I think we paid a hundred dollars a week to take this little office, no bigger than this studio. Um, and away we went. So we launched a weekly community newspaper, so free to the home. What was it called? Uh, it was called Ipswich's Own OWN. And that was a part of the strategy. And a part of the strategy was to brand align that with this is your own paper. Who was your competitor? Our competitor was APN. But was uh, it like a local newspaper though? Uh, yep, yep. So a daily, and they had a, they, they had, they had the market. So your, your, your competitor was your previous employer. <laughs> That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, where I had been working sort of no less than a year ago. Um, so I had intimate knowledge about the marketplace and they had a daily paper and a community paper. Uh, so they had the market share. There's no question about that. You're talking about the community papers where, you know, there's like chat about what's going on in the, in the area and the local real estate agents do ads for properties for sale and there's a, you know, a trade section at the back where, you know, if you're a plumber or electrician, you put your ads in and all that sort of stuff. In its traditional form, yes. Yep. But not what we were thinking about doing. Uh, because normally in a marketplace where a big media organisation will run a daily paper and a community paper, it's all about the daily paper. So um, anything that's not newsworthy enough to make it into the daily paper gets thrown into the community and thrown over the fence. Um, but the penetration of the daily paper was nowhere near as high as the circulation of how many you were putting over fences into people's homes. So we, uh, I guess, reverse engineered that and said, okay, well, even though we're only coming out once a week, a lot of people are not getting this local news content because they're not buying a local newspaper. So instead of filling it with rubbish editorial about, you know, a check for this kid or a ribbon for this, well, let's put proper news in there uh, because a lot of people aren't getting access to that. And that proved to be very successful. Okay. And do you charge for the newspaper? No. no it's a free, no, advertising free. revenue is the only source. Yeah. And, and um, I guess you knew how to do advertising. So mm. what part of the business did you run? All of it. All of it. Everything. Um, so... Um, I was even writing stories, uh, I was taking photographs, um, but mainly selling and leveraging relationships that I had in that marketplace already. So when you've only got enough money to put the paper out for a couple of weeks, you're asking clients to pay up front, you're calling favours. When those favours, you know, ran out in that regard, we debt factored for a while with a, you know, I guess you could probably refer to that as a lender of last repute, uh, things like that, just to keep ourselves going until... It really started so how, to turn. how long did it take you to start to get revenues in that that could allow you to support yourself? 
a year? How'd you do it? Like for a year, your your expenses were greater than your revenues. How'd you do that? I mean, uh, was that well, your twenty six? Well, when you say support yourself, I mean we could we could um, pay the bills. We could pay the bills. Yeah, um, and. Um, I knew we must have been doing something right because we're only getting eighty percent of the revenue because the debt factor guys keeping twenty. Yeah. Um, so we were doing okay. So uh, okay, you use factoring. So yeah. what you're saying is, um, I mean, for people listening to this, um, you would uh, sell ads to, you know, the local bakery, mm. and the bakery didn't have to pay for those advertising space for a month or something like that. That's you correct. Ga- you yeah. gave them thirty days or ninety yeah, days. Yeah, which is standard practice because no, you know after you called in the favourites from the big advertisers who'd known you for a long time and are happy to su- see another local business launch and support you, uh, that can only go for a certain period of time. Um, so to keep the cash flow going, we went into debt factoring and so stuff well, like that. So debt factoring being, you went along to somebody and you said, um, I'll sell you the debt that's owed to me by the local baker because he, um, he hasn't paid me. When the local baker does pay, they pay you, the factoring company, direct, and the factoring company in turn gives you 80% of the money before you, he gets paid. So in other words, you get paid in advance you, and that allows 100%. you to keep the doors open and yep. pay your staff or buy your newspaper or whatever you've got, yeah, the yeah. paper, et cetera, yeah, and yeah, pay for the yeah. press lease, leasing of the press machines or whatever it is. You All want. of that sort of stuff. But it didn't take, certainly after a year, well, when we first launched, we weren't very popular with, um, you know, the other newspaper operators in town, that's for sure. And um, So what happened? Like, I mean, I mean, it's not easy to take on someone like APN. Um, yeah. What happens? What happened to them? How do they respond? Um, well, so I, I'd been working with a couple of guys who were really close to them at local level in Ipswich. Um, and I actually do a keynote presentation about this called Who's Your Andrew? Uh, and I got a call one day. This is just before we launched our first edition. And it was from the general manager of the newspaper. Uh, and I'm going to say that I feel like he was... The probably, general manager from your competitor. Correct. Um, who... Um, I think was acting on his own. I'd like to think that he was acting on his own. And he invited me to the coffee shop um, to have a chat. Um, and I thought, oh, this is great, you know, because um, we're going to have a chat about how we're going to keep this nice and clean. And, you know, we'd like, we, you know, we foster local business and we'd like to see you do well. And in reality, you know, you're not going to be much of a threat to us and all that sort of thing. Well, oh my goodness, I could not have been more wrong. Uh, I was there first. I always like to be there first for meetings. And um, he rolls in, sits down across the table from me, um, takes out, I can't remember whether it was like a phone or a, a dictaphone or whatever, starts recording the conversation, which I thought this is a little odd, um, and then pronounces uh, to me that, um, you know, we're an organisation with a $900 million market capitalization, and from what I hear, um, you've got $46,000, um, you've always been overrated, you're well out of your league, you don't know what you're doing, um, we're going to financially and personally crush you, um, and it's going to be a lot of fun to do it. I thought, oh my goodness. You punch him in the head? Like this, I, just had, I was completely unprepared for that. Um, and I thought, wow. So I walked out of that meeting and I thought, if I was not motivated enough to make a success of this business, guess what? I am now. Oh, you know, because that sort of conversation can go either way, can't it? It well, can either can. crush somebody or, or oh, no, with a fear no. of God in raw terms, they respond. Well, the, you know what? The only thing that I, you know, that I can't stand is losing. I cannot stand losing. Like, I enjoy winning. Um, but you hate losing oh, more. Oh, I hate losing more. Oh, my goodness. So I still think about that today. Like, in the business that are, businesses that I, I – I wish that I could find that guy again and say, man, you just did me the biggest – you have no idea the favour that you've done me. Well, he's probably listening to this podcast, so don't worry. Yeah, and he's probably sitting there shriveling up. It's amazing how sometimes people um, unwittingly – 
um, actually inspire you and re-energize you or give you energy, the energy it needs to sort of get through those sort of lumpy periods in your in a startup business. I mean, I've had the same experience myself at Yellow Brick Road when I first started. So, so you're saying that this um, general manager dude, mm. um, who, as I said, is probably listening to this, looking for inspiration, um, was uh, uh, a massive inspiration to you and gave you that energy. But it's, it's weird how we get energy from you know unusual events. But that energy that sort of make it all worth your while, putting up with the shit you have to put up with, trying to make ends meet every week, dealing with factoring companies, and put you in a position to just forge on, just push on, just to prove a point. A hundred percent. And uh, I mean, everything's sweet when it's going well, you know, and you can enjoy the art of the sale and all that sort of thing. But when it when it's tough, and it's always tough, and it doesn't matter what size business you're in, it's always tough. Uh, and it's a full commitment. Um Sometimes you start to question yourself and self-doubt comes in and all of those sorts of things. And um, when, you've got, when you've got a pivotal point to go back to and say, oh, what keeps me motivated? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't want uh, – and as you said, this can go either way. You know, they can crush you or you can really drive you. And I, I think that comes down to what your inherent personality is. And why the fuck am I doing this? I'll tell you why I'm doing this. I'm doing this so you don't fucking win. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. And what happened? Like, so, okay, we, we, here we are, we're in Ipswich a, a yep. year later – or during that period, this bloke's basically trying to stand over you and play that, you know, he probably thought he's out of some sort of movie. Possibly. And uh, and actually, Russell Crowe's playing that role right now. And uh, and and he put, puts it on you, it inspires you. So where'd you end up? Like, like what? because what, I'm guaranteed there's some irony out of all this. Oh, there's no question about that. So, um, so first year was tough in business. Second, third, fourth in that marketplace, we just started to take bigger and bigger and bigger chunks of business away from our competitors. So can, can you, I mean, would you, is there a, I don't know how this, these things work in your industry, but mm. I know how it works in my industry, but would you sort of say, um, you know, you took 20% market share over a period of time? How's that work? Oh, more measured in dollars. Dollars, is it? Yeah, more measured. But in, in dollars of a percentage of sales revenue for Ipswich or that your zone, where would you have been? Oh, we probably took 50% of their market share. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So what happens in those situations? I know what happens, normally happens in banking circles. What happens when you take away from the bank? I know what they normally do. Their normal response is they come in and they uh, they either try to spend more money against you, trying to crush you more, or alternatively they try and buy you. What, ha- what happened? Well, I think that, um, well, to use a sporting analogy, once you lose the dressing room, you're finished. Um, so if there's another product in the marketplace that has the hearts and minds of the advertisers, which is what really matters in this, in this instance, um, once that happens, it's incredibly difficult to get them back. And once they're rusted onto a particular product, you've got two options. You can either shrivel up in the corner and go into the fetal position, cry and say, well, we, you know, we let this happen uh, because he's come from nowhere. Um, and principally because he wanted to run his business in on the basis of what was good for the customers as opposed to what was good for him as a business. Um, and has really damaged us uh, savagely. Um, so the best option is for us to buy that product off him and, did you know they would do that? Did you did you think yourself these guys are going to come and offer no. buyers business? No. Did you put it up for sale? No. So how did how did that happen? No. Did the well, general manager come back and see you and say, "Listen, no, I've no, made a mistake"? No, 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 no. Any business that I've ever owned, um, I'm never on sale, but I'm always ready to be bought, and I think that that's a really important point. So you're ready for sale. That's always. a really important. By the way, for those people in business who are listening to this, I mean, I harp on about this all the time. Always be ready for sale. Always. Yep. Yep. So they came to me and they made me an offer. Uh, How many eight, years later? So it would have been 2006. So six years after oh, five you kicked or six off? Years old. Yeah, yeah. Five or six years later. How much came, money did they pay um, Well, it's an interesting, well, I'll tell you a really quick story. Um, so APN came to me and they offered me, they offered me an amount of money. 
uh, to buy the paper off me. And we did an arrangement with them. Um, and right at the last minute, for reasons unknown, they decided that they wanted to renegotiate with me. And I thought, this is very strange. Why would you want to do that? At exactly the same time, News Limited got wind of it and came to me with a substantially higher offer, which I took. Um, and I still consult to News Today, and they're a fantastic organisation. So News um, bought you in the end? News bought it in the end. Because um, News were trying to open up into all the regional um, local papers. And they still Today, I think they dominate, don't they? Very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's principally what I, in, uh, through one of my consulting roles, with uh, look after regional newspaper stuff for, for News Corp. But yeah, News came in. Uh, and um, so, so $46,000 startup. Oh, about six point five million, I think the deal was. That's a lot of money end. back then. Yeah, and as and that's that's a that's a pretty good uh, uh, rags to riches sort of story. You t- you sp- um, invested your grandma's inheritance or your inheritance from your grandmother very mm. well. She'd be quite proud of you. Mm. And uh, and you so you bought you you sold for six and a half million dollars. And and did news say to you we want to keep you on? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I stayed on with news. Well, they want to keep me on for a while, um, but. I think I'd been working for myself for too long and I wasn't mature enough to go back into a corporate environment. So I only lasted three months and, and left. Yeah, do you still do work for News Limited now? Yes. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. So what are you doing now? Uh, so now I look after um, a lot of programs for them in, in relation to um, uh, client acquisition and retention. So that's really my main yeah, role at, in, sorry, in, in the regional newspapers. In regional right? newspapers, yep. yeah. So yep. I, mean, I know the big and regional newspapers. So... Um, Effectively, what you what you're saying you do your role one of your roles is uh, to go and make sure that the advertisers, who are your clients, um, who are in uh, local areas, um, let's say it's called the baker. Let's keep talking about the baker. Yeah, the baker's happy because mm. uh, New Zealand uh, don't want to lose that baker as a as a customer because we know one thing is for sure: it's better to keep a customer than it is to go and find a new one. Hundred percent. And uh, so they really and what do they do? They put on events. What what happens? Well, yes. So we look. We try to. Um, the battleground now is the customer's experience with us. That's that's where business is won and lost. Uh, so we try to, um, you know, give them things to go to during the year, things to entertain them. Like you've, what? You've been you, well. You've been a part of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where they'll, you know, they'll they'll come and listen to, um, you know, speakers, entertainers, celebrities, mm. the, people that we wouldn't normally meet in regional areas. Mm. Um, and and it you give them access. Yeah. yeah. So you, so effectively, people listen to this. I mean, this is a great customer retention uh, story. I mean, this is being done by the world's one of the world's largest news organisations, News Corp, at a regional level. But by the way, this same you know, strategy can be applied to anybody in any business. Retention of your customers. So what Malcolm's saying is, uh, he is. Uh, I guess your business, Thirty Management, does mm. this for News Limit, does it? Yeah, and and a bunch of other stuff. So what you do is you put on events. For the advertisers mm. or the p- people who you know, put revenue into the pockets of News Limited's regional newspapers, um, you put on events and give them access to people they those advertisers will not ordinarily be able to get access to. That's right. Yeah, and uh, and which is probably the reason you got me to do the thing up in Harvey Bay um, a couple of years ago. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so th- those people there were they all uh, advertisers with news one of the News Corp businesses? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, not at that time because after I'd done the Ipswich episode, I went and bought the paper in Harvey Bay, um, which was the, not the worst paper in Australia, but it was a close second. Uh, so I bought that in uh, just after I'd sold the paper in Ipswich. I bought the paper in Harvey Bay. Ten years later, I did sell that to APN, um, who subsequently their papers were bought by News Limited. So that's so not only did I do it once, I did it twice, and now I'm back in the News News Limited back in news camp. Yeah. Back in News Corp. So thirteen management mm. is an events business that manages events for News Corp for where they put them on for their 
that's one that's one part of what we do. Um, I also do management consultancy for, for business people and talk to them about how to run their business better. Um, there's, there's lots of different aspects to what data management does, but I suppose one of the main parts is our relationship with News Corp. Right. So, but your big game, one of the, I mean, it seems to me one of your skills is, and something you have deep experience in, is making sure that you keep advertisers happy. Because, I mean, I mean, if I look at the, the, the whole theme going along mm. here is, when you're 16 or 17, you know, there's uh, nothing like eating, smeating, whatever the, what those mm. words are. I can't remember it now, but, but smeating and eating, the two words that stick in my head. Your skill is um, being able to identify quickly uh, what will get a, cust- a, a local advertiser over the line. And you're still really doing that mm. in some respects, but just in a much more mature and more um, significant way and, uh, and probably much more sophisticated but it still goes right back to when you were 16 or 17. All the principles are exactly the same. Yeah, just so, that they're built upon. Yeah, correct. The landscape so, has changed a little bit, but the principles are exactly the same. And as you get older and you become more mature and you learn how to deal with people, um, the results get better as, as a natural consequence. Of it's that. funny you should say that because um, even in my own my, my yellow brick road business, I'm uh, selling off my wealth business and I'm also sort of – you know, I'm changing the the landscape of my own business to become just a mortgage business because mm. I'm actually really good at mortgages, and and because uh, I'm, I'm in terms of I understand that the 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 vertical that goes with the mortgage. I'm not just I'm not talking about the, how to lend money to people. I'm talking about all the verticals that attached to it, and that is actually sourcing the funding in the first place. And I was only having this conversation with someone the other day. I've gone back to doing what I was doing 40 years ago, 30 years ago, because that's the thing that I'm good at. And I don't know why I'm good at that, but I just am. I know more about it. I'm just more comfortable with it. And you're, what you're saying, irrespective of all the things that happen in between, you know, buying papers, selling papers, and doing the thing at Harvey Bain and selling that off to uh, APN, et cetera, you've gone back to doing what you started off doing, which, which is what you were doing when you were 16. I'm a great believer in staying in your lane. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's right. I mean, because often we get a little bit carried away. I mean, I've done it. Uh, oh, I can go do – I can get involved in the wealth business because that's what Australians need. That was my view. It is what Australians need, but it's so fucking complicated, like uh, wealth. I mean, I don't understand it, so I don't know what I don't know, mm. and therefore I'm better off, as you say, sticking to my lane, just doing mortgages, because I understand that top to bottom, left to right, you can, any sort of angle, diagonal you want to talk about, i am pretty got some skill base in it. And it's interesting, you're doing exactly the same now, notwithstanding all the stuff that happened on the in-between. Yeah. You are looking after advertisers who are customers of News Corp, um, and or probably other people for that matter, and you are looking after them by making sure that they feel as though they're part of a group and that that group looks after them better than anybody else, therefore they're going to spend more dollars with that group. Would that be sort of... Well, every job's a sales job. Yeah. It doesn't matter what job you've got in what organisation, every job is a sales job. There's no question about that. Um, so you want to make that experience better than the experience they'll get from anybody else. Once you do that, why will they go somewhere else? It's about the experience, you're right. Yeah. How do I make that experience better? What's well, the oldest economy in the world, Mark? You do something for me, and what does that? Ha- what happens after that? I feel like I've got to do something for you. Yeah, totally, hundred percent. I mean, yep. it's funny, you know, when we go talk to our in- independent mortgage brokers who are out there who we supply money to. I know, and we had a guy called um, David Holston who worked in my original wi- wizard business, and David used to say to me, "Mark, all I have to do is go out and speak to these independent brokers, and have lunch with them, or have a cup of tea, and buy them a cup of coffee, whatever, and have a chat to them." He said, for the next three weeks, they'll give us all the business. They won't send anything to Commonwealth Bank. They won't send anything to Westpac. They'll send it straight to us. Mm. And then I know, and he used to be able to look through the data and work out 
when someone needed to be talked to, spoken to, or just addressed and treated like a human being, by the way, treated like a nice, normal person, and no hard sell, no no hard sell, none, none whatsoever. Just go out and respect them and spend some time with them and ask them about how they're going. And then all of a sudden the business would flow, start flowing again. Is that sort of what you're talking about here? Look, I think one of the greatest traps that people fall into is that they get a customer and then they think they've got that customer for life. Mm. So they stop, they don't treat them with the, um, the art of attraction or the vigor in which they pursued them in the first place. They don't keep that repetitive behavior going. And that's the thing, um, that attracted that person to you in the first place. Um, it's like, it's like everyone puts in so much effort for the first impression, but it's the last impression that matters. How much my lasting impression of what you are like, um, not, you just, you know, you, you, you drop me after three months and you don't give me the service levels because I've signed up to a 12 month deal and whether it's, whether it's media or it's plumbing or whatever, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Whatever you did to get that person in the first place, you keep doing because that's what conditioned them to get into you in the first place. That's definitely the psychology of you. So you're, you're sort of talking about as a customer retention expert, how do you reconcile today um, retention of customers when for those businesses that are all not person-based but are a database in other words they're, they're electronic digital and there's no interaction i mean how, how do those those people must struggle with retaining customers it's a it's a it's a it's a difficult one um most of those businesses are what probably we would term bigger businesses for instance so you know 97 percent or something of the businesses in australia are small business 15 employees or less that's that's the heartland for customer retention and you know if you're on social media you can build your own community around your own business and there's many ways in which you can you know, do what I'm doing and many other people are doing in a, in a smaller way. Uh, so, you know, if you own the local carpet cleaning business or whatever, don't think that you can't build a customer retention base around those people because most of it's communication uh, and they're really easy strategies. I mean, we launched a real estate business in Harvey Bay two and a half years ago as well. We're now the number two office in town out of 22 franchises um, and ours is an independent business, but we completely reverse engineered the way that it was being done in that particular marketplace. Uh, so, it's easily done, but you've got to stay committed to it. And that's the hard part. The hard part is it's easy, like a bad racehorse to put your head up and start looking around at other things and forget about the thing that is most important and that's your customer. So if you keep your customer rusted onto you, um, I tell you what, you'll sleep a lot easier at night because you're not worried about where the next sale is going to go. Um, make them want to buy from you as opposed to you having to sell to them. Yeah, that's a good point. And, but it is a, as you say, it's a constant, consistent, persistent game. You can't ever let up. It's Never. like it's, and it's not just, not just communicating, but it's actually, it is communicating, but it's actually communicating valuable things. Like, you know, people get a lot of shit today and uh, especially digitally. Mm. And uh, like to some extent we spend three or four seconds on most things, um, you know, especially things like Instagram. So we have to give them some reason to stay there for a second or two, a few seconds longer. We have to really think about the content and make sure it's valuable. There has to be value in what it is I'm reading from you if, you're, if I'm interacting with you. It does. It needs to be a value proposition. But the other thing which I, I talk to people about a lot uh, is that if you're competing with me, it's a prize fight and it's going to go all of the way to the end until one of us can't continue. Uh, there's no point in saying, oh, I'm just going to try this for a while and see how it goes. You've got to be committed to it. And that's when you get the results in the end. I always, you, all the, you always use that story. Um, you know, uh, uh, David and Joseph, they're in the jungle and there's a tiger coming towards them and 
Um, uh, David says to Joseph, wow, there's a tie coming. We're in big trouble here. And Joseph looks at David and says, mate, all I have to do is run faster than you. Um, <laughs> and what you're saying is, you're saying precisely that. You're saying um, you have to be better than your opposition. So you, it is important to know what your opposition is doing in terms of how, how they interact with the customers. You have to do that plus more. You have to be more committed. It's, it's a fascinating um, environment, customer retention and customer care, Customer acquisition is equally fascinating, but the retention piece is really important. I mean, our biggest organisations in this country are very poor at it. Banks, for example, are mm. very, very poor at it. I don't know whether it's because they've got too many customers, but they're just average at it, very, very average. And maybe because they've got monopolies or, you know, the oligopolies and they know that the, the, there's, a, you know, 500,000 customers and they've, they've only got to go to four places. So if I lose some, I gain some, you know, mm. like it's a bit of a, a mathematical game and they just play it that way. But when you're running a small business, every customer's gold. You can't afford to lose any. And in that case, I think where most people get it wrong is they think it's all about price. And it's actually got nothing to do with price at all. Yeah, that's an interesting... Nothing to do with price. That's an interesting. It's a, it's a bad interaction. Well, Malcolm, I, 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 we're running short of time. I'd love to talk to you about more about customer retention because I, th I think it's one of the most important topics for small business owners and one of the topics that most small business owners don't understand. They understand the skill that's required in their business to execute for the transaction, but a lot of them don't understand how important – there's no point having that skill unless you've got a customer to execute for. And customer care is – and customer retention is critical – so I, I think it's been a, a very informative process. I mean, it's great to hear about your story and how you invested your grandmother's 46 grand and well done, by the way. I, I love that story. But really where you've landed today is precisely where you started when you're 16 years of age, back in Glendon, just living with your grandma and grandpa and your uncle and auntie next door. Well done. It's a great story. Um, I really wish you the best for 13 Management. And, uh, and my mates at News Limited, uh, they're a good organisation from my point of view. A lot of people hate them. But I reckon they're a good organisation. I have the utmost respect for how they keep it together and have maintained their position at the top for so long. So they've got to be doing something right. They're a great organisation to, to work for. And um, whenever people poke fun at News Limit or anybody else, I always say to them, you know what, Beethoven had his critics too. So, <laughs> well, he was okay. Rupert will go down in those sort of, uh, in those categories, by the way. Malcolm, thanks very much for coming in to talk to me at The Mentor. Cheers, mate. 